there was a group of soldiers returning after a battle, and you saw that all the soldiers were pretty beat up. And there was one soldier where, uh, who came across, you know, came back unscathed. I think everybody would wonder you know, what he was doing during the battle. And we can think as well, when we die and go to heaven, we're going to meet Christ, who, you know, he, even in his resurrected body, will receive the wounds of the crucifixion. And he could look at us as well. And, you know, if somebody were to come or try to come into heaven and he's completely unscathed, Christ could look at him and say, was there nothing worth fighting for? Because you know, sometimes we can look at the battles in our lives and difficulties, and sometimes we can be kind of ashamed of, of getting beat up. But I think it's really part of, you know, part of life and part of the mission. You know, one of the phrases that we talk about or hear a lot in the Legion, desgastarse por la misión. Well, sometimes when we're tired, sometimes when we're beat up, and, uh, and maybe we're even feeling bad about that. But uh, if we take, you know, give it a turn and we realize, well, this is what it means to descastarse por la misión, to uh, spend ourselves totally for the mission. And, um, you know, in this second meditation, I think that we're called to remember with Christ. Remember like the apostles. In the number 62 of Desiderio Desideravi, once again, the Pope says, I would like this letter to help us to rekindle our wonder for the beauty of the truth of the Christian celebration, to remind us of the necessity of an authentic liturgical formation, and to recognize the importance of an art of celebrating that is at the service of the truth of the Paschal mystery and of the participation of all the baptized in it, each one according to his or her vocation. So in the second meditation, we're going to try to remember the necessity of an authentic liturgical formation. Right, so, you know, what is the liturgy for us? And Pope Francis, at one point, he says that whenever we're lo- looking at liturgical formation, and here he, he speaks in different moments about Roman, Romano Cordini, kind of remembering some of what he offered uh, to the church through his own reflection. But Pope Francis talks about, when we're, when we're speaking about liturgical formation, we have to think of our formation by the liturgy and formation for the liturgy. That actually even just living out the liturgy already forms us. The scripture passage that I would propose comes from the Gospel of Mark. And it's the, the Gospel of um, you know, Jesus with his disciples. And they're there with a huge crowd. And the disciples want him to dismiss the crowds. And he says, give them yourselves to eat. And then they have the miracle of the loaves and the fish. And, and something tells me that this miracle was something that was very deep in their collective consciousness. And something that they probably thought about a lot of times later on as they were in the mission. You know, the, the apostles had a very special experience of being together for three years with Jesus and learning from him and living with him and experiencing so many different things. And then they split up and they went all over the world. It's the experience that we make as well in our formation. Sometimes it's interesting looking at the brothers and, uh, and now there's even a much stronger sense of generation perhaps. You know, most of us, we probably enter the Legion with some brothers and then as time goes on, you, you move ahead, you get left back, whatever happens. I always tell people when, you know, because when I was going through formation, it wasn't normal to do two years of humanity. so. You know, I failed my first year, so that's why I had to do a second year. 
um, getting left back. But, but the point is that there, there is a very special bond with the, the people that you're being formed with. But then you get ordained and you get sent all over the world. You're not with the same people. There might be, you know, you might coincide with you know, a few of them, but, but it is very different. And so that's something that's very apostolic. That's something that's evangelical. And I'm sure that when they were on their different missions and they were, you know, running into difficult situations with, with the people that they were trying to evangelize, that they could think back to this, you know, where Christ said, give them food yourselves. You know, they're praying and Christ, his answer is, well, what can you do for these people? And, and the liturgy is part of that. And I think that's part of the, the reflection that we can make looking at this apostolic letter of the Holy Father, that they're not separate lives. It's not our apostolic lives and then our liturgical life, but it's all connected. Um, recently, I was re- reading one of the book, a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which I've always been kind of fascinated with his figure. He was a Lutheran pastor who was known, he's known for standing up to the Nazi regime in Germany and he ends up dying somewhat well he he dies definitely for his stance um similar to a martyr's death there's a little bit of politics in there so I guess there would be some varying opinions but I definitely see him as a great spiritual leader in his book The Cost of Discipleship he uh he has a very strong sense of what it means to be a Christian right and and it's interesting because I read it just a few months ago but even within his Protestant theology, it sounds a lot more Catholic than, uh, than perhaps what we would find nowadays in a lot of Protestant churches. And he says a few, few things that I think can kind of call to our own hearts and, and lead us to a self-examine. So many people come to church with a genuine de- desire to hear what we have to say, yet they're always going back home with the uncomfortable feeling that we are making it too difficult for them to come to Jesus. And then does not our preaching contain too much of our own opinions and convictions and too little of Jesus Christ? And I was, you know, for, for me, it's kind of a, a constant source of, of self-examination. You know, am I preaching Christ? And we can even think, you know, a lot of times when, when we hear the, the gospel reflections on Thursday from the brothers, you know, there's a lot of, of human reflection there but how much are we preaching Christ? And, you know, and, and here too, I think that kind of the icon of St. Francis that Pope, Benedict, that Pope Francis proposes so many different times can help us because for him, there was no separation. For him, there was no uh, hesitation to preach the gospel. And, and why, why do we shy away from this a lot of times? Well, because I think we can feel that it gets boring. Well, that's because we get bored with the gospel, with Christ himself. And the liturgy here is a, is a means for us to come back, for us to come back and to recognize the great gift that our Lord is giving us. In his apostolic letter, Pope Francis says, the action of the celebration does not belong to the individual, but to the Christ church, to the totality of the faithful united in Christ. The liturgy does not say I, but we, and any limitation on the breadth of the we is always demonic. Now, this little passage here is is very strong there's a lot here that we could unpack but i mean the first thing is it doesn't belong to the individual and 
I remember when we were studying uh, the, the sacrament of the Eucharist in theology, Father proposed something that I always thought was helpful for kind of looking at the way we celebrate the Mass. And there's three elements, sacrifice, banquet, and presence. And he said that you should always have these three different elements present, right? And obviously, the, and we know from, from theology and from a lot of different church documents that the, church is a, that the mass is essentially a sacrifice, right? And that's the most important aspect. And it's something that we have always in, in our celebration of the mass is that it is a representation of the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. When we were um, in theology, Don Gagliardi, he offered a, an optional course on the celebration of the Mass according to the 1962 Missal. And one of the things that he pointed out was that the corpo was set up from the very beginning of the Mass. And this was a way of showing that it was a sacrifice, right? And I think that's one of the aspects that a lot of people that are, that are attracted to that Mass, they take into account. But then we have to remember that the Mass is also a banquet. You know, we, we look at the Mass and it's in the context of the Last Supper, the, the you know, Christ who was with his disciples, who wanted to share something with them. If we look at the gospel passage today, you know, the, Jesus was with his disciples, also somewhat in the context of a banquet, or at least of, of supping together, and then kind of the, the crowds come and ruin his plans. But, you know, there's also that being together. And then finally, presence, so that there's that, that sense of our Lord is here. We can think of the disciples in the upper room when Christ approaches and comes to them. And, and that's what we should be experiencing in each Mass. So we should always have that aspect of, of sacrifice, but then also an aspect of banquet. So there can be some you know, external celebration. We have our, the songs and you know, there should be a certain joyfulness in the congregation, but then always respectful of the presence. And I've always been impressed by, by priests, you know, parish pastors that fight the losing battle often of trying to have a sense of reverence of the people in mass because you know here we're used to going to church and and well for many of us maybe some of you are from areas that have other traditions but for many of us mass is over and people are talking you know and and a pastor really has to make a lot of effort to get people to leave the church before the talking starts you know and there's kind of varying degrees but there is something to be said, well, there's a lot to be said for having that sense of the presence of the Lord. And we can even ask ourselves, you know, how do we live this? And how do we live out our devotion and some things that we might, you know, live because of external discipline? How much can we make that internal? Remember when I was, um, when I was a novice, when we celebrated the feast of the Holy Trinity, Father Klaus Einsler gave us a Sunday talk and he would, or maybe it was the homily, but in, in any case, it was related to that. And he said, when your hand hits the handle of the door of the chapel, stop for a second and just think about what's happening when you come inside. And so how much do we live that sense of presence of knowing that Christ is truly here? And, you know, looking at the liturgical formation, this formation by the liturgy and formation uh, for the liturgy, well, the first way we do that is in the way that we're living out the liturgy. And you know, the brothers here in formation, well, we're the ones they see all the time, right? And, and so our fervor and our devotion is something that can make a difference. Pope Francis says 
A celebration that does not evangelize is not authentic. Just as a proclamation that does not lead to an encounter with the risen Lord in the celebration is not authentic. And, and I think that there's, there really is a lot to get out of this document. And especially, you know, I think we are living in a time of crisis of the liturgy. And, and really it comes from a crisis of faith. And a lot of people have, have lost their faith or, you know, a more active faith. And, you know, a lot of people do kind of come to, to Mass with a way of just kind of, you know, living out a certain tradition or, or fulfilling a certain obligation. But how do we make it that our celebrations are really an evangelizing experience? And how do we help the brothers to live that as well? Because it starts there. You know, we can think of so many things that we've done um, during our own time of formation in order to live the liturgy better. You know, to, to take the missile and read along. You know, and if you're doing that for 10, 15 years as you're in formation, when you get to start celebrating Mass, and a lot of things feel very natural. For me, it was always interesting being in Rome, I was in Section B, so I worked a lot in the sacristy, and I'd worked in the sacristy beforehand. But I remember getting the theology and some of the brothers from other sections saying, well, yeah, we really don't know how to use the missile. I'm like, well, I mean, you've been around for a while. So it's like, okay, I didn't work in the sacristy is a certain excuse, but it's also not an absolute excuse. You know, like get to know what's going on there. Um, you know, and for the brothers too, you know, to be able to set up a mass, there's a value to that, to realize what are the different parts in the missile. Um, but living all that out of a love for the Lord and you know that this is part of our formation as well. Several of us have read the book From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, Pastoral Strategies for an Apostolic Age, and I think that it has brought a lot of good reflection. Um, and one thing that's, that's said there, apart from the understanding of the world that Christ and the church bring, the priest is an ambiguous figure and his role in life does not make sense. You know, and we can think, what is the specific thing that the priest brings? Well, the priest brings the Eucharist, the priest brings confession. You know, it's, it's the liturgy. So this is something we have to live and breathe. For this authentic liturgical formation to take place, well, we need the active participation in, uh, you know, this is one of the big phrases in Sacrosanctum uh, Concilium and Pope Benedict, well, you know, even before as Cardinal Ratzinger, in Spirit of the Liturgy, he talks about this active, active participation. But what does this active participation come down to? What does it mean that we have to do? Unfortunately, the word was very quickly misunderstood to mean something external, entailing a need for general activity, as if many, as many people as possible, as often as possible, should be visibly engaged in action. You know, so here it's, it's actually um, interesting. The liturgical reform kind of had a jump start in Germany and in France. And even you know, long before the, you know, the Second Vatican Council, there were priests that would have mass in the vernacular. And this was an effort for them to get people involved. And, and in Germany specifically, this was helped by the fact that people did have their, uh, their missiles, their personal missiles, so the German Latin, so they were able to follow along with the mass better. And, uh, you know, and, and I think there was definitely something very admirable in there. I don't know what role obedience had to do with all of that. And I don't, I don't know if they were faulting against liturgical norms. I'm not canonizing it. But I think there was definitely a very uh, interesting effort on the, the part of a lot of pastors to try to get people more involved. But when we hear this word active participation and then we see a lot of what goes on and where it can be, you know, very much external and, and just trying to... Uh, kind of have that banquet aspect, but where we lose the sense of 
the sacrifice and the sense of the presence, well then we're definitely losing something essential to the Mass. However, the word participation refers to a principal action in which everyone has a part. I think that's one of the challenges that we have that you know, the congregation, in our case the brothers, feel themselves really a part of the Mass. Um, you know, because some of the things that were criticized in the Mass, you know, as celebrated before the Council, was that you know, the priest kind of does everything and everybody else is just kind of there, right? But sometimes, you know, walking into the main chapel, I get the feeling that the same thing is happening. You know, and a lot of people are just kind of there. Um, barely, barely, you know, mental presence. Physical presence, yeah, it's there. But, you know, mentally, how, how present are they a lot of times? And so if we want to discover the kind of doing that active participation involves, we need, first of all, to determine what the central axio is in which all the members of the community are supposed to participate. The study of the liturgical sources provides an answer that at first may surprise us, though in the light of the biblical foundations considered in the first part is quite self-evident. By the axio of the liturgy, the sources mean the Eucharistic prayer. The real liturgical action, the true liturgical act, is the oratio, the great prayer that forms the core of the Eucharistic celebration, the whole of which was, therefore, called oratio by the fathers. At first, simply in terms of the form of the liturgy, this was quite correct, because the essence of the Christian liturgy is to be found in the oratio. This is its center and fundamental form. Calling the Eucharist oratio was then a quite standard response to the pagans and to questioning intellectuals in general. What the fathers were saying was this, the sacrificial animals and all those things that you had and have and which ultimately satisfy no one are now abolished. You know, and, and this is maybe one of the disadvantages that we have. And if we look at that, you know, book from apostolic age, or from Christendom to apostolic age, you know, one of the disadvantages that we have in comparison with the early church is that they saw a huge difference. You know, the Jews that would have become Christians, they would have noticed, okay, well, we're no longer sacrificing bulls and sheep and, and goats on the altar, right? And instead, we have the celebration of the Eucharist. And so there would have been a much more natural understanding, well, kind of the same thing is happening, but something much greater, because it's Christ himself who's being sacrificed. But what's our experience? We, I don't know, personally, I've never seen an animal being sacrificed. Not on my list of things that I want to do before I die. You know, not on my bucket list. But, but do we notice the difference? Do we notice what is going on there? Because... It's ridiculous to be bored at Mass because it's, it's a tremendous miracle and something fantastic. But so often, our living of it can be rather boring. In their place came the sacrifice of the Word. We are the spiritual religion in which, in truth, a Word-based worship takes place. Goats and cattle are no longer slaughtered. Instead, the Word, summing up our existence, is addressed to God and identified with the word, the word of God who draws us into true worship. Perhaps it would be useful to note here that the word oratio originally means not prayer, for which the word is prex, but solemn public speech. Such speech now attains its supreme dignity through its being addressed to God in full awareness that it comes from him and is made possible by him. You know, like so many times, Ratzinger just gets into the 
the words of something and it brings out so much meaning that we couldn't even begin to imagine. But what we're living every day in the Eucharist is something so powerful. And it's something that, you know, religion is something natural to man. Man wants to, or to attain the supernatural. And that's what religion does, you know, in some way or another. It's an effort to do that. But as you know, Christians, as Catholics, well, it, it kind of worked the other way because it's God who comes to us through his revelation. And then our religion is trying to respond to him. And we have, you know, a lot of help. We have the whole liturgy that's been developed. And, and one thing that I think is important is, you know, the bodily participation in, in the Mass, you know, the gestures. If you go back to, Ratzinger, to um, Guardini's Spirit of the Liturgy, he talks a lot about the gestures. And, and it's something that can be very helpful. And it's one of the things that I've noticed a lot of times in Mass with the Brothers, because you'll have the brother who, you know, sits down during the Gospel, stands up during the Eucharistic Prayer, and kneels during the Our Father, you know. And, and I'm always just kind of curious, like, where is that coming from? Um, I remember when, when, uh, when I was in Rome, this, I, I can't remember which Holy Father put out which document, but in any case, we changed the physical gestures to the Mass a little bit. And the one that struck me the most was when the priest says, um, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice is your... And then we stood up with the answer, right? And it was, it was a difference. It was a change that we had in the way we lived the gestures of the Mass. But it was something, you know, massive and unified. You know, and in the chapel in Rome, it's 400 people standing up all at the same time. And so there was a certain sharpness even to the physical gestures. And then the kneeling with the, at the moment of the epiclesis, you know, and, and so there were these, all, all these different ways where the body is being involved in the celebration of the, of the Eucharist. And it's a way of active participation, the participatio actuosa. And I was thinking, you know, when that kind of becomes a little bit lazier, and where you're not as present, of, you're not as aware of that, well, then the, the body kind of takes less importance and there's less participation. And, and I think it was, it's interesting, you know, reflecting a lot of what we see with the brothers, because it seems like there's a high regard for the body in so many other aspects of life, right? And there's even kind of this uh, preoccupation with, you know, patting each other on the back and the high fives. And, and there's a lot of interest in bodily participation as a way of expressing closeness. But then in the most you know, important moment of our lives, the daily sacrifice of the mass, we might, you know, it's easier to forget that and to lose that. And, and I wonder if, you know, there's a little bit of a kind of a balance there and something that's out of balance. And it's because we're not as aware of what's going on. And where does this come from? You know, there's, there's a danger of forgetting the importance of the incarnation. One of the things that St. Teresa of Avila said was that you know she would reflect a lot about the incarnation and that she would think a lot about you know living out her faith you know even in her body and this is saint Teresa, the master of of prayer but i think that we can kind of fall into that as well and we we fall into a certain dualism when we kind of have you know this spiritual and really it's just a kind of a non-participative activity in in prayer and in the, the liturgy and then when we're outside of that well then everything's body and it's what we see, you know, in the modern world, the, the cult 
to health and and the body and so many different things. Um, within the context of Sacro Sarctum Concilium and looking at the at liturgical formation, there's also the role of beauty in the liturgy. In the handout, I, I uh, included a few quotes there from Pope Pius XII and from Pope Benedict. I think that can be helpful as well, you know, and to see the beauty of the liturgy, the way we <clears throat> have our chapels, but also in the way that we celebrate, right? And there's a certain authority of beauty. And here I'd like to include something from uh, Timothy Radcliffe, Father Timothy Radcliffe. He was the Master General of the Dominican Order for several years. He's English. And, and I think that a lot of times his reflections on faith in the modern world can be very helpful. Jesus' sign at the Last Supper was beautiful. If it is to speak of hope in the face of death, then it must be reenacted beautifully. Church teaching is often met with suspicion. Dogma is a bad word in our society, but beauty has its own authority. It speaks our barely articulated hope that there may be some final meaning to our lives. Beauty expresses the hope and the pilgrimage of existence that, in, that, that, ex, that the pilgrimage of existence does indeed go somewhere, even when we cannot say where and how. Beauty is not icing on the liturgical cake, it is of its essence. So when we're thinking of our own formation by and formation for the liturgy, you know, I think it's important that we, that we relearn and we re-exercise our total participation, right? For us as priests, it's probably a little bit easier in that we have to physically do things at mass so that it, it goes forward. But we can do that with more awareness and with a little bit more depth. And... And it can bring us into the fact of that's the way the disciples lived uh, with Jesus. You know, you think of the first Mass, the Last Supper, they were there. And there were gestures and they did pass around the, the bread and the wine. And then, you know, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was the way they lived it out. And they remembered this. And, and then so things like the, the multiplication of the loaves and fish... You know, Jesus, who was, you know, calling them to conversion. But they have this very real, practical, even material living out of the faith. And we can think of Christ, you know, even in his resurrected body, he decided to, you know, he had breakfast with the disciples. His resurrected body obviously didn't need that. But nevertheless, there was the desire to always keep the full human experience. And even when we go into heaven... But we go into heaven as, as human beings, as men, body and soul. And the liturgy has something to do with teaching us that even during this life. So I invite you to go over the gospel passage and maybe read some of the, the texts that are in the handout and pray to our Lord and ask him to really to remind us of the necessity of an authentic liturgical formation. And to see the way that I'm living the Mass, that I live my liturgy the hours, even the rosary, I think the rosary is something special where even just taking the beads in your hand as well, there's that physical aspect. And for me, I try to always carry my rosary. And when I'm nervous, it's one of my ticks is to grab my rosary and kind of move it around a little bit. But there's also that sense of, you know, being close to Mary. And that's, there's a liturgical aspect to that as well. So let's try to remember like the apostles and see how the liturgy is always bringing us closer to Christ. And the mass is always a sacrifice 
a banquet and a celebration of his presence.